Man, Man. welcome, y'all. That was all right. How are (laughs) y'all? Good. I am doing well. It is good to be here with you all uh, this morning. Um, Hey, I forgot to start just with a quick update uh, for everyone who was praying uh, for little Micaiah this weekend. Uh, She had to go to the ER uh, and get multiple procedures done uh, to help with a correction in her intestines. Uh, I say a condition because every time I try to say this condition, I utterly butcher the name. And so I'm not going to embarrass myself like that. Uh, That is Detroit Public School System at work. But um, thank you all. A lot of you asked me is how she's doing. Whoa, shoot. Y'all thought I got shot, didn't you? <laughs> I mentioned Detroit, I get shot. That's how it goes, all right? <laughs> so anyway, thank you for praying. Uh, thankfully, she didn't have to have surgery, which is good, and we think that she's over this. And so several of you asked. I just wanted to kind of give that update uh, up front. Thank you guys for praying. Um, that, I also say that because I wrote this sermon at the hospital. So if it's bad, I have an excuse, all right? Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we uh, are actually finishing up our sermon series in Timothy, which I'll talk about in a second. But uh, there should be a Bible under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we actually want you to take that Bible and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to read it. So please use that. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the Version app or the Bible app, underneath the events section, uh, type uh, the well Austin, and it will follow along that way. You can also take this link and put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, I don't care how you look at the Word, but I want your eyes on the Word, whatever that looks like, so that you see uh, what we're doing is not uh, just the words of man, but we're really trying to be submissive to what we believe are the very words of God revealed to us. And so uh, as we're walking through Timothy uh, throughout this whole summer, uh, we say today farewell to our beloved young pastor, Timothy, all right? Uh, We've been looking at a ton of different things throughout this book. And so this book has covered everything from politics, which seems very relevant in our season and age today, from women in ministry, to leadership, to doctrine, to different kind of even controversial issues. How do you maintain the faith? And it almost seems like a barrage to some extent of topics, but there really are two sort of overarching themes to the book of Timothy that we hoped would help us as a church. One of those overarching themes is, uh, even what the sermon series is called, is uh, chaos to order. And so Paul was concerned for Timothy about how do you take the chaotic world that Timothy lived in, which Ephesus, as you heard a couple of weeks ago, was very similar to Austin. Like there was a political uh, uh, turmoil. There was a lot of uh, differing opinions. There was a lot of false worship and idolatry. There were uh, just a lot of youth in that city. It was a huge uh, explosion, one of the richest cities in Asia Minor at the time. And so Paul is taking this letter to Timothy and say, hey, here's how you put some order to the chaotic world around you. And we hope that for our own lives, we're able to take these same applications and put some order to the chaos in our world as well. The second thing that Paul was doing, though, was that Paul was helping Timothy see, here's how you take a, uh, a church plant or a younger church and move it into an established church. Here's how you uh, orchestrate and run things in a particular way that your church may be here for the long haul. And that's something that we deeply desire here at The Well is to move from church plant to kind of established church where we know that we're not just kind of a flash in the pan, but for the next 5, 10, uh, 25, 50, 100 years that we can be in the city doing God's work here in this city where we can uh, bless the city around us and, 
and make it just a better place to live because we serve it in that way where we can send missionaries overseas, where we can plant churches, where we can raise up disciples from within. Like we hope that that's what we are able to do. And Paul was kind of giving Timothy these instructions. And so um, that's kind of the direction that this whole book was going. And in a lot of ways, that's how we're going to sum up today is Paul's going to give this kind of overarching message to close the letter to Timothy. And so one of the things that we saw all throughout the letter of 1 Timothy was Paul's beckoning to Timothy for steadfastness. Over and over and over again, he would say, maintain the faith. And in 2 Timothy, which he wrote to, he would do the same thing. He would say, fan into flames the gift that you have and and keep going and and persevere on and, and don't fall short. And you see all these beckons for Timothy to remain steadfast, to remain in the faith. All right. Now, the Olympics just started this weekend. Okay. How many of you are excited about that? All right, got a little crowd here. How many of you are just thankful that there's something besides baseball highlights and politics on TV? Yeah, all right, most of y'all, okay. So imagine you're watching the Olympics, all right, and imagine you're watching, say, Usain Bolt, okay, the, the, the famous uh, Olympic sprinter, right, the 100-meter dash uh, specialist, the world record holder, and you're watching him, and the gun goes off like it just did a second ago, right, and he starts running, okay, and he's running and running, and then he's faster than everyone, but about 60 meters in, he just decides to stop, okay? Like, like what would you do as a spectator? You would think, did he get hurt? <laughs> like, is, what is, is he having a seizure? Like, what is going on with him, right? And you would begin to be confused. Or maybe you're watching Michael Phelps, most uh, uh, decorated Olympian ever, okay? And maybe he's swimming in his final events. And let's pretend that halfway through, he just decides to kind of duck under one of the barriers and start swimming in another lane, all right? Like, how confused would you be if you began to see that? Now, technically, what would happen is that they would technically get disqualified. And unfortunately, in many Christians' walk, that's what happens. They start off strong. The gun goes off. They're running for Christ. They're, they're holding on to the faith. They, they want to make much of Jesus. And then as the race goes on, you see them slowing down. Some of them eventually stop. Some of them get in other lanes and start running or, or swimming in the other uh, lanes, competing. Instead of the prize of Christ, which they get after, they hop in another lane and start competing for another prize, one that may be better to them at the moment. And so really what Paul is going to lay out is, how do you maintain the Christian walk for the long run? How do you start and finish the race, not start well and then kind of die out, but actually start well and maybe even finish stronger than you started? started. I mean, how many of you know people who has actually finished stronger as the race has gone on rather than kind of weighed off and slowly but surely kind of just apathetic or normal Christians? Like how many people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s do you know that are running maybe even more aggressively than in their 20s and their teens and their, and their early 30s? Like how do you take this Christian faith and then maintain it through the long haul? Because can we be honest? The Christian walk is hard sometimes, isn't it? Right? Like the Christian walk is hard sometimes. You have to fight your flesh. You have to fight the world. You have to fight the darkness and Satan that is around you. You have to fight your own pain. A lot of times pain comes up in your life or, or sin or your own depression at things that are happening around you. Sometimes you just get straight up tired. Sometimes your flesh uh, tricks you and you begin to uh, be licentious and chase after the things that you would think give you most pleasure today. Sometimes you just get straight up hurt. Maybe by the church, maybe by God even. You think that he should have given you something he did not, and you're confused at that. Maybe you're just tired. Sometimes the Christian walk is hard. 
okay? Let me say it like this. It gets really easy to get weary while you're running the Christian race, doesn't it? Isn't that something that you feel like you experience? I mean, shoot, some of you may have even walked in here tired today, about ready to give up even this morning. And maybe you didn't. Maybe right now you're feeling all right in the faith. But you know if you use wisdom that you have seen many, many men and women start well and then slowly but surely fade off as the cares of this world kind of choke out their relationship with God. All of you have seen people that are like that. And so this should give us some concern. How do we maintain for the long haul? Because listen, unlike Usain Bolt, all right, the Christian race is not a sprint, but it's a marathon, The Christian race is something that you have to stay in for the long, long run. See, sprints are kind of like the cool race, right? Like sprints are like kind of the fun race. I used to run track in high school, and we would actually call it the sexy race because everybody wanted to do that, right? Everyone wanted to be the sprinter because they were all cool. Like nobody wanted to be the long-distance runner, right? Okay, so even as a poll, ready? How many of you uh, watch or want to watch the Olympics? Raise your hand. Okay, now keep your hand up. It's almost everybody in this room, okay? How many of you want to watch or plan on watching or you hope you get to watch like a a sprint, like a 100-meter, 200-meter dash, something like that? All right, I saw maybe two hands go down. How many of you want to watch the 26-mile marathon? All right, there are four or five faithful people here, okay? How many of you got to watch the 158-mile bike ride yesterday? Anybody enjoy that? Yeah, four people, all right? So we see, okay, that look, like the Christian walk isn't really like the sexy race. Everybody wants to see the 100, the 200, but how do you maintain for the the 400, the 800, the 26-mile, the 158-mile bike ride that the Christian walk often is? And so this is what Paul's concern is today. So let's dive into our text, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. So Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone dwells in immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. So lots of good stuff here, okay? But there are a couple of things that I kind of want to draw our attention to. First of all, look at some of the verbs that Paul uses in the first couple of of, uh, phrases there, right? Flee, pursue, fight, take, charge, keep. Like these are really strong verbs, aren't they? Like they're kind of action-oriented verbs. There's actually a few of these that in the Greek, uh, they're actually athletic terms. And so in Timothy's mind, he would have actually begun to think about an athletic event maybe even the original Olympics, which were kind of around then. You know, the Olympics where one of the events was see who cannot get eaten by the lion first, 
right? Like, that's what Timothy was probably thinking. Like, they had, like, the Hunger Game Olympics, right? Like, that was what their Olympics looked like. It's like, fight to the death while we shoot fiery arrows at you and see who can last, okay? And so Timothy, as he's thinking this, is probably thinking an even more aggressive analogy than our analogy. He's not just running around a track, seeing who's fast, right? He's running away from lions, seeing who is, is strong. And so notice, as we walk through some of this passage again, thinking about what Timothy might have been thinking about, look at some of these verbs, okay? The first one there in verse 11 is to flee. And he says, flee these things. What are these things? Well, they're distractions. If you were here last week, you know that we talked about uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people pursuing these have, have really lost their faith. And so there are things that can kind of distract you from God. Chasing after money, longing to be rich and famous, seeking after gold medals rather than eternal life, whatever it may be. Because it is not just money. When he says these things, he's kind of encompassing the whole thought there, the, the whole book even. Hey, Timothy, all these things I've been mentioning to you, like don't pursue something that is less valuable than God. Flee from those things. Run from those things quickly, actually. Paul said to flee distractions or temptations or sin. Maybe even you can uh, add that in there. And we all have these, don't we? distractions from the Christian faith, things that would kind of deter us or shift our eyes off of our Savior and the lover of our souls, Christ. Like when you think about it, you know the things will pull your affections away. Maybe it's money for you, like we mentioned last week. Maybe the, the desire to have and the need for more and more money actually begins to shift your love off of Christ onto something lesser like money. Or maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's different friendships that would pull you away. Maybe it's romantic relationships, where you know that person is not pointing you to be the lover of your soul or toward the lover of your soul, but rather they themselves are trying to usurp that position, right? Like maybe it's your own comfort or maybe it's your own uh, success or work, whatever it may be. There are so many things that are distractions and nothing that I named is actually a bad thing in and of itself. But Paul says, flee them when they become distractions, when they shift your eyes off of the main thing, off of Jesus, run from them quickly. And all of you know the Holy Spirit can even speak into your heart and tell you what things you should flee from. Matter of fact, for a lot of you in here, you already know what those things are. We don't have to list examples. Even as I say, flee things that would, that would shift your attention off of Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks to us at times because he's a good God. He, he wants our heart connected to him. And many of us know what we should be fleeing, but it's hard, isn't it? I mean, we're in church. You could be real right? Like it's hard to flee those distractions sometimes, running away from something that isn't helpful. But if we're going to do that, then we have to be running towards something, right? If we're going to run away from something that's bad, we got to be running towards something. So Paul says to pursue. Pursue what? He says pursue righteousness. And then he lists some things that we should run towards or fight for, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, etc. Okay. You've all heard of the uh, protection mechanism, fight or flight, right? You learn that in like third grade or something like that. So some animals run, and that's their form of protection. Some of them fight, and that's their form of protections. And some of them choose what to do based on what situation they're in, like humans. Sometimes we run, sometimes we fight. And so do you want to finish the Christian race well? Do you want to maintain for the long run? Do you want to be connected to Christ as you get older? Paul says to run or flight from distractions and temptations and fight for or run towards godly righteousness, faith, love. Matter of fact, the very next verb he uses is actually that same word, fight, right? Fight for the faith. 
The Greek word there for fight is a present tense verb, which means it's a continual struggle. It's not like you fight for the faith once and then you're all done. Like, no, the whole Christian walk is a walk of you fighting to maintain the faith that was placed in you. Like a lot of you and some of you in here may even still be trying to seek the Lord and and who is this God? Is he real? Is he worth following? And you know, it's a fight at times to try to understand everything, to make sense of everything that's laid out. It doesn't stop once you get saved. It's not like you get saved and then all of a sudden the fight's over. Like, no, you still have to fight for the faith, to grow deeper in the faith, to grow more connected to Christ. Like, it is a fight. You have to continually fight because Satan and your flesh and the world around you would try to stomp out the passions and the fires in your heart as quick as possible. Everything around you tries to pour water on the flames that want to exist. So you have to fight to protect that, to make sure water doesn't get poured on it, to, to, to nurture that flame that you may grow more and more more passionate about God. You have to fight for that. And you feel that. You feel the battle for your faith that goes on, don't you? Like, I'm not the only one in here today, am I? <laughs> right? Like, you feel the, the, the fight that it takes sometimes. A distraction comes your way, a temptation, and you start thinking, man, what if God isn't real? <laughs> All right, am I the only one that's had those thoughts? Right? Man, what, what if What if this whole thing is kind of a fluke and a fraud? What if this has been invented by men? What if I'm missing out? Because there's a lot of things I would want to do that I can't do as a Christian. Real talk? And so you have to fight, it says, for the faith because so often there are so many things within you that are trying to steal your affections for Christ. Paul says, be active, continually strive, keep fighting for the faith that you have. Push those pedals up that long mountain hill. Even when your legs start getting weary, push some more. Fight, fight for the faith. It's important, okay? He goes on, he says, take eternal life, take like, take hold of it, grab it. I love that uh, eternal life, John 17, 3, uh, it gives the definition for it. It says eternal life is to know Christ and to know God. So he says, man, take a hold of that. Like, grab onto that. If you want it, grab it, pursue it, fight for it, run toward it, whatever analogy or verb you want to use. Like, take eternal life. It is worth it. Run toward Jesus. He's there for you if you want him but you have to run toward him. You have to fight for him. And I love that this verse says that we were called to eternal life. We were called to that. As men and women, God has called us to live with him, yet we have to also pursue that as men and women, as free men and women to fight toward the faith that God has for us. Paul goes on and he charges Timothy to what? He says, keep the command unstained is the next one, or keep the gospel pure. Don't dilute it. Don't alter it. Fight to maintain the the true gospel and run hard in that gospel that's free from reproach, Paul says later. As you grow older in Christ, question, do you grow stronger in the commands of Jesus or weaker in the commands of Jesus? Let me actually ask it like this. As you grow older in Christ, do you try to keep the gospel pure and maintain those commands of Christ or do you try to dilute it? Do you try to shift around things that you don't really like in the Bible? You don't really like about the Christian faith. You would rather not really follow this command, so you're going to kind of try to sidestep that command, and then sure and behold, you got to slidestep that command. Are you trying to keep the commands pure, or are you trying to dilute the faith? Paul says, don't dilute it. Don't change it. Man, keep the commands pure. Hold on to these things fast and do them. If you try to alter the commands to better fit what you like, you end up swimming in the wrong lane. You kind of go to the side a little bit. I don't like that. Go to the side. And next thing you know, you're supposed to be in lane five and you're in lane one, disqualified from the faith. 
If God calls it blue, it's blue, not teal. Stop trying to alter the faith. Paul says, man, keep the commands unstained. Paul then begins to praise God, okay? So do you want to know what you're fighting for? Because the athletes, they knew they were fighting for uh, this gold medal in today's age, or back then it was a little wreath that they would use, a, cel- a celery uh, 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 crown is what they would have, and that was their reward, their victory. Paul says, you want to know what you're fighting for? He then begins to go and praise our reward and our Savior Jesus. He lays out who this God is that we're fighting towards, that we're wanting, that we're trying to take hold of. He says that he's the inexhaustible God, the God that cannot be fully known yet has made himself known to us, the God that we get to treasure, right? He is the the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. He's the most high God. He dwells in unapproachable light, it says. I love that phrase because if humans cannot gaze upon the sun but for a few minutes, lest we lose our eyesight, How much less can you gaze upon the God who created that little son? And it's such a little part of his creation. It says God dwells in unapproachable light, yet in Christ we get the chance to behold him, Scripture says. We can one day lay our eyes upon God as they become pure, as we get washed with the blood of Jesus. We actually get to see this God. What does that mean? There is no more darkness when we actually finally get our true reward. All the suffering, the pain, the the distractions, the temptations, all the, the hurts that you feel, all the darkness that surrounds you, that is no more in Christ. This is what you get. This is the reward that you should be striving for. And Paul says, man, fight for this. Like, this is important. We want you. In Christ, we can see and we can have all of those things. And so to fight for the faith is important. Not to wither out should be one of our utmost pursuits. One of the things that we value most is to maintain this Christian walk. Keep reading, verse 17. As for the rich... In this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so Paul gives a practical example from this, and this also kind of carries over from our thoughts about the sermon last week, if you were here. Notice that uh, last week, Paul addressed those who long for riches. They weren't rich, but that's what they wanted. That's what they were striving for. And this week, Paul is addressing those who already have riches, okay? They're, they're already wealthy. Is money bad? No, right? In fact, in this verse, Paul says, if you have money, enjoy like, God gave you these things that you may enjoy. That's a very interesting phrase. So if you have a lot of money, ma'am, eat nice dinners. That's awesome. Like, like have good food, have good drink, have uh, nice clothes or whatever it may be, but you can't be uh, enslaved to it where money becomes your ultimate God. Now, what do you do then, Paul says? If you want to flee distractions or flee things that would shift your eyes off of Christ like money often does, what are you supposed to do then? How do you pursue righteousness? How do you run toward Christ? Well, Paul says, be rich in good deeds. And if you have money, be ready to share it with others. Be ready to give it away. Show yourself and show others that you're not enslaved to the money that you work for, but rather you are freely ready to give it away because you have something more valuable than money which is Christ. 
You are a Christian. You know that your true reward is this eternal God, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. I love verse 19 there. It says, store up true treasures that you may hold that which is actually life which is truly life, that which, like money, the the things that you can buy that does not bring you true life. You can enjoy them, that's great, but it's not what true life is. True life is in Christ. Money is awesome and can be used in beautiful ways. It can also be used to help others, Paul says here. It can be used as a tool to really encourage other people, helping you, okay, ready yourself for life or for heaven or for Jesus in a lot of ways. As you use your money in certain ways, you ready yourself for uh, Christ. Can I give you two examples, even from just this week, even here in our church? Okay. One example, um, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a analogy about my car and it broke down and it was crazy. Spent like 900 bucks to fix it, drove it away. It was overheating, that stunk. Uh, And then literally uh, I started fixing a bunch of it, spent a bunch of hours on it. I thought it was good. It was still broke. That stinks. Okay. And then somebody broke into it. (laughs) All right. And so while my car is sitting there already hurt, they kicked it while it was down. All right. And they broke into it and they took out the stereo and my subwoofer and my speaker really the only thing I liked about that car is it had a nice sound system, all right? And so uh, they took all that. Then we go out yesterday, and somebody had slammed into the side of it, like where the right front tire, and so now it's sunk in where it's literally impossible to drive now, okay? And so that was like stinky, right? All right? And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, without me even knowing this, a bunch of people in the church, I still don't even know who you all are, okay, decided to put together a GoFundMe. And they said, hey, you know, Tori doesn't have a lot of money right now. Let's actually put together so that he's able to buy a car. And all these people, without me literally knowing, put all this money together so that I can go purchase a car. And it was a lot. Like, it was a good amount to where I can have, like, a decent car now. People who had riches, right, gave away some of that riches to somebody who did not, like a broke pastor, okay, and then uh, has the ability to bless. Let me give you another example and uh, even more favorite example of mine, okay? Uh, One of our covenant members, uh, I didn't ask if I could share, so I won't, but it's on Facebook. You can go look at it, all right? One of our covenant members uh, came to the elders with a benevolence request. Long story short, when it's all said and done, it was like $7,800 worth of stuff that needed to happen. AC broke, hot water heater broke. Uh, A guy came in who said he was going to fix some drainage problems uh, in the house that was creating some flooding issues and uh, the, this person paid 2000 bucks, and then this guy ran off and gave a false name and didn't, couldn't find him. And so, I mean, just like Job moments, right? Like thing after thing after thing starts happening. And so uh, we put together a, a little list in my community group and another community group and said, hey, if y'all be willing to help, that would just be awesome. Now, to be honest with you, in my mind, I thought we'd get like 10, maybe 12 people that would kind of go out. None of us really know what we're doing. And so we would just kind of be there and maybe make even more of a mess at times, right? Like, like, what do we do? Well, slowly but surely, people start kind of putting stuff together. And so some people came around uh, this individual and said, hey, I actually have no type of skills like this, but I would love to make you some food to bless you and to bless your kids, right? And so, yeah, that'd be great, you know? And then more people came around and then uh, all of a sudden Mark came through and said, hey, I actually know how to uh, do erosion control and fence stuff. Like, that's what I worked on in the summer. So I can actually help head up this project, okay? One of our elders, Paul Carlson, said, I know how to install uh, 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 hot water heaters. I can do that. And slowly but surely, yesterday, uh, 22 people showed up at this house and wiped it all out. 
Those of you who are rich, some of you with finances, gave to that financially so that uh, the person in need is able to receive that blessing. Like, that's what Paul is saying here. If you're rich, be rich in good deeds. Some of you don't have any money, right? So what did you do? You gave of your time even, which could even in this instance be even more valuable in some ways. And every single one of you, if you give to the well, actually helped in some way because we sent out a benevolence for that. And so some of your tithes and offerings went to cover some of that. Like, this is how God works. This is how uh, God says, man, take hold of eternal life. Those are two instances, and I can give more and more and more because our church has been around for a while, and we see these. But this happened just this week. People using their riches to give to those who are in need. Do you know what this does for them? Like, for the receiver, you, you feel blessed, right? Like, the other person who received, you just go look at our Facebook page, right? Like, you could tell there was a great, great blessing that was received. It connects you to the giver in a beautiful way. Like, it makes you not feel indebted like you owe them, but feel indebted like, man, this is my family. <laughs> like, thank you. But even more, for the giver, it sets your heart a reminder that says, there's something more to this life than you storing up your riches, When you see the face or hear the words of the person that got blessed, you realize this is far more valuable than me drinking another latte, right? This is far more valuable than if I went and I spent this on myself. Like, I want to give away because I begin to see that which is truly life. It prepares for me a good foundation for life. That's what this text is. So do you want to flee distractions and run toward? Paul gives a practical example with our money. Man, give it away then, If you are rich, if you have that ability, man, give it because it helps you to see there's something more than this. You're able to fight for the faith and flight from distractions. You're able to fight well, okay? Let's finish our text, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. So that's what we're talking about today, swerving from the faith. So the last kind of verb there you see is to avoid babble. That's the last action-oriented verb in this passage. So to combine them all, to avoid babble, which is another flight thing, right? So run from distractions or temptations or sin like babble and pursue that which is good. You don't want to swerve the faith. You want to stay on course. You want to cross the finish line in the right lane. And so maintain this. So look at this list here, okay? And what do you notice about this list? Like, Like what are some things that you notice here? Well, Very simply, you fight for what is good and you flight from what is bad. All right, like that's what Paul lays out here. You fight for what is good and you flight from what is bad. Run towards good things and run away from bad things. That's the the message today. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? Run toward good things, run away from bad things. Can we be honest with ourselves? Is it simple? No, we just said it wasn't, right? Like as we start listening through those examples, we just said how we don't do the very, very simple thing. Run toward good and run from bad. Flight from what is evil and fight for what is good. Take hold of it, wrestle with it. But oftentimes what happens is we get tempted with what we know is bad or distracting. We begin to run toward that or we mistakenly, or listen to me, friends, we passively flee from what is good. What do I mean? Do you spend time with the Lord in prayer on a daily basis? 
Or do distractions get in the way? Do things that seem more important, like checking your Facebook status, get in the way of you spending time with your Savior, of you fighting for the faith? Do you spend time in the word? Do you spend time in fellowship? Do you make church and, 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 and being able to sit under the word and worship with the saints and fellowship with one another? Do you make that a priority or is it a secondary, a, a third, fourth, whatever those Aries are thing, right? Like, like, is this something that you fight for or do you passively flee from that? Not actively. Maybe some of you aren't like, skip God. I don't want anything to do with him. But passively you're saying that. You're saying, I don't really want to do it. I don't, I don't really want much to do with God. And you show that you flee from what is good and you end up fighting for what is bad, the exact opposite of what this text is telling us to do, right? And so here's the beautiful truth of this, okay? It's simple, yet we don't often do this. We don't often fight for what is good and flight from what is bad. And so here's the beautiful truth. We have somebody who paved the way for us and not only paved the way for us as our example, but also as our substitute, Okay, Christ fled sin, did he not? I mean, heck, he was without sin, (laughs) okay? When Satan came, the great tempter, the, the one person that every single person in this room would be utterly deceived by if he started messing with us, when the great tempter came to Jesus, the deceiver, Jesus didn't sit here and kind of argue with him. He avoided Babel. He, he didn't begin to uh, uh, mess with temptation like Adam and Eve did in the garden. No. Instead, he fled from that. He rebuked Satan, said, get away from me, and then fled from that situation. He removed himself from temptation. Jesus was without sin and did not give in to temptation. Christ gave up all of his riches in heaven so that we who are poor here on this earth may be rich in him. Did he not? Christ, the most richest person that ever lived, became poor so that you who are poor may be rich spiritually in him. Like Christ showed the example of verse 17 and 19. He didn't just uh, uh, say this was a good thing. This isn't just hypothetical. Like Christ literally did this right? And Christ avoided Babel, didn't he? That last couple of phrases, when the Pharisees would try to argue with him and argue with him, he would often just say one little quick sentence that would shut the whole crowd up, right? Like he knew exactly where to go with this. And the one time that he should have been speaking, the one time that he should have been defending himself while he's hanging on the cross, a sinless man being counted a sinner, Christ opened his mouth not. Christ did not speak. He avoided it. He, he fled from things that would try to distract his mind from the ultimate mission, which was fulfilling the will of God. See, we have Christ who, who was there for us, who showed us his way. And even more, friends, when you begin to lose faith, when you don't fight for the faith, we have someone who fights for you in Jesus, okay? When we can't fight, when we grow weary, we have Jesus who's an advocate for us. Paul says to fight for this faith, and doesn't that what Jesus did for us on the cross? Listen, listen to me. Jesus wasn't fighting for his faith on the cross. Jesus believed in the Father. He knew the Father would save him. He knew who he was. He was God. He was fighting for your faith so that when you feel like you can't fight, I mean, you have an advocate, You have an example and you have a substitute. When your faith gets weak, his faith becomes strong in you. In fact, flip over just one page to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Jesus remains faithful because he is in us. 
He's not going to deny himself. He's not going to deny the work on the cross that he did for us. Jesus is in us. Go forward a couple of books to Hebrews chapter 12. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, uh, one through three here. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us weigh aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, flights from them, lay them aside, put them somewhere and go a different direction, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run where? Well, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do you maintain How do you not grow weary? When you're pedaling that bike up that hill and it feels hard, what do you do? You look to Jesus, friends. You look to Jesus. You fight to, you fight for Christ. He is our reward and he is our advocate. He is the one that helps us. Let me say it like this, more simply. Jesus never lost faith so that we who frequently lose faith can find our true faith in him. He becomes our substitute so that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Christ is our example and our go-before. Jesus always fled from sin so that when we begin to dabble with sin, we become sinless in Christ. He was our substitute. He went before us. Jesus always fought for the faith so that when you and I forget to fight for the faith, he fights for us. He is there for us. He's our advocate. He's our friend. Look to Jesus. Root in him. Realize that he is better. Like this is what we get. 1 Timothy 6 showed us our reward. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, that one day we will get to see a God who dwells in unapproachable light. This is what we get. But even when you're faithless, God is faithful. Friends, some of you came in here today feeling like you were ready to give up. I've been there. Jesus fights for you. Look to Jesus. Feast your eyes upon the lover of your souls who can carry you through. God is able to fight for you. Let me end with one more story. Um, I told y'all a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, sorry, that I hate rats, okay? Um, I, I detest rats, right? I told that story and then a couple of guys at our men's retreat brought a little stuffed rat and put it on my pillow, all right? So they're not good friends. <laughs> but um, one day I was out in uh, my dad's backyard. Once a year, my dad would make me and my two brothers clean out this little shed that he had. I have no idea why he did that. It was an utterly futile uh, 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 work because within two weeks, it would just be dirty again, all right? And so one week in particular, one year, I say in particular, we're outside and we're getting ready to clean it and we're kind of like playing around. None of us want to do it. It's trashy. There's like all sorts of stuff in there. We don't know what's in there. And so he uh, leans out his window, which was facing the backyard and somehow he got a paintball gun. I've never seen it before. I never saw it afterwards. And he shot one shot and it hit the shed. And he said, if you guys don't start working, I'm going to start shooting you and you better paint what I just shot. All right. And so we're like, oh, that's my dad for you. Okay. And so we're ready to work. And so my brothers start working. And then I remembered, oh, there's some uh, plywood behind the shed because my brothers used to go to the side of the shed and see if we can punch holes in the shed. 
I don't know why, because we were teenagers, all right? And so uh, we had put some holes in it, and so my dad bought this uh, plywood to kind of patch it up, essentially. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go get that, and that would be like a great work, and I don't have to do anything. And so I went behind the shed, and uh, I grabbed the plywood, and underneath the plywood, there was about 300 rats. I'm literally about to throw up telling this story. (laughs) They had dug this little hole, and they were like living in this little, like, thing. Now, I had headphones on, so I couldn't hear them, but I, like, freaked out and, like, grabbed myself, and my headphones came off, and you could just hear, like, and they're, like, crawling on top of each other and biting each other, and, you know, you get, like, so scared, you don't know what to do, okay? As soon as I regained, which was about a millisecond, I sprinted away from that shed and did not clean that shed that year. I literally told my dad, you could shoot me naked out in the street, and I would be way better than playing with those rats, all right? Like, I, like, that was just so disgusting, oh, the thought of that, okay? And to think my hands were so close to, like, 300 of them, that's so nasty, all right? Mm-hmm. Friends, sin is a thousand rats. Would you run from it? Freaking run from sin. <laughs> just like me with those rats, that nasty, disgusting, sickening thing. Man, sin is a thousand rats. Run from it. And run towards he who is able to fulfill you more than your heart or your brain could ever imagine or fathom. Jesus is worthy, friends. Flight from sin and fight for your faith in Christ. And when you don't have the strength to, Jesus fights for you. Cling to the cross and cling to him, our advocate and our substitute. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I long to see um, every one of us here, God, myself included. I long to see us finish the race.